Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Lords of Limited. My name is Ben Warney, and joining me on the line, as always, is Ethan Sachs. Ethan, the Pro Tour is back. Paper Magic is alive and well. How did you feel about getting to tune into coverage on Friday and Saturday? It was awesome. I mean, selfishly, you know, it shouldn't have really mattered that it went digital, except they didn't have limited. And as a result of that, I really felt excluded from the pro scene a little bit in that like the paths to qualifying didn't really have limited so often. And then they weren't competing in limited when they were there a lot of the time during during the uh, what was it even called the MPL? There we go. The myth the, the I couldn't even remember the name of the acronym. Magic been so pro long. League. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But I just felt a little out of the loop with all of that as a limited player. And now that it's back and draft is back, honestly, just the fact that it's back in paper is incredible. And the mm-hmm. people that, you know, we want to watch and root for are competing in paper. I just felt like such a huge fan. It was awesome to be able to just watch like I was watching the Super Bowl on a Sunday or like I was watching the NBA in June, like to have a thing that felt like it was for me to watch. It was great. And it definitely felt like they knew like they meaning the coverage team and not just like the folks doing the commentary who are great, but the whole production crew just sort of knew like we have like this is a a big chance to sort of not only bring in all the old fans like you and me, but maybe folks who've gotten into magic over the past four years and are only familiar with the digital pro scene to really like get them on board. And I feel like they crushed it. Like there's so much downtime in broadcasts previously of like digital events. And there was almost none this time around. Definitely saw some critiques of the formatting of the camera angle view and some wasted space there. But I would say by and large, that's some like small stuff to complain about. And it was just like a slam dunk event. Yeah, I thought it was incredible. And I thought the coverage team also just shout out to them. What you were saying was incredible as well, just as far as storytelling and just showing magic all the time. I don't know. It was awesome to be invested in the thing again, because I had definitely fallen off the wagon with the MPL and everything. And I love magic, right? Like, so it's very weird to love magic as much as I do and not (laughs) care about the competitive scene. And I I watched rounds of Pioneer this weekend. (laughs) Like, I mean, it just it just makes it matter to me. (laughs) There you go. Yeah. Love to see it, man. I I totally agree. And I'm so excited that we get to return to the PT draft review. You know, we'd sort of supplemented this kind of episode with our review of the team drafts that we do against team resources. But now we get to actually just sit down and review the pro tour drafts again, which is awesome. Yeah. Armchair quarterbacking with no responsibility, the best place to be. That is exactly how we have a a friend staying with us this weekend. And she was like, so what's the pod going to be today? And I was like, we're reviewing this big tournament that happened in Philly, getting to armchair quarterback it. And she was like, ooh, ain't that the best? It's like, sure is. (laughs) Sure is. So we're going to get to that Uh, in just a little bit. We got two drafts to look at. We've got some, you know, format updates, things to check in on. Uh, Ben and I, Ben, have you recovered? We nearly came to blows last night on your stream. (laughs) It was intense. It was intense. You were uh, hot headed. I, I was. I'm fine. I, I'm glad you're okay. I was, I was not mean to tilt you, but I tilted you off the face of the earth. I'm sorry about that. Tough, tough stuff. I'm a, I'm a short fuse these days. What can I say? So uh, maybe we'll touch on that a little bit, or, uh, or we'll just uh, let our friendship move past it. Got to chat about, got to chat about uh, what we're feeling on Firexia All Be One this week, and then we'll get into those pro drafts, a few housekeeping things before we get into that. Let's chat about the Patreon page. Patreon.com/slash/LordsOfLimited is where folks can go to give back to the show if they so choose. We got a lot of sweet perks over at the Patreon page. We always talk about getting in on the Patreon to get in on the Discord at the start of a new format, but we're creeping up on some pretty sweet limited events 
coming up digitally. So we've got an MCQ coming up next weekend that I believe is limited or slash I hope it's limited because I qualified for it yesterday uh, doing a little best of one sealed of this format. Um, So that's next weekend. And then the weekend after, I believe the first weekend in March is the arena open for one limited. So that'll be sealed day one and then two drafts on day two in the pursuit of $2,000. And those are also excellent times to be in on the Lords of Limited Discord if you want to be surrounded by like-minded limited junkies and get some feedback or give some feedback on people's decks, builds, drafts, etc. And then we've got a lot of other sweet perks moving up the reward tiers on the Patreon page if you want to give back to the show. We also want to shout out our new patrons the first week that they join. So this week we are welcoming Isle, Nicholas, Jeff, Alex, Eddie, Daniel, Tuna, Adam, DG, Severino, shout out to this one, Engelbert, Humperdinck, Francis, Chris, Calvin, Clement, Colton, Hans, and Jacob. Thank you, thank you, thank you. We really appreciate your support. Yeah, cannot say thank you enough. Show is also brought to you by TCG Player, tcgplayer.com, best place on the internet to go for anything and everything you need related to Magic the Gathering. want to shout out the TCG Player subscription for $6.99 a month. That gives you a bunch of sweet perks, mostly free shipping and tracking. So if you're ordering sealed product from TCG Player, it's a no-brainer to be on their subscription service. You also get some extra bonus bucks, which is store credit on all your purchases. And most importantly, from our perspective, you get CFB Pro articles that you, me, Alex, and a bunch of other pros are writing each and every week. And I just put up a new article recently about the rules of engagement in the format, just laying them out very specifically. I know you've done an article on keeps or mulligans. Alex has got one going up on over and underrated cards. There's a ton of limited articles on there. And you can get access to that through the TCG Player subscription service. In addition to that, if you're ordering any sealed product or any singles, maybe for a commander deck or a draft with your friends, please be sure to use our affiliate link, lordslimited.com slash TCG player for any purchases you're making over there. And that will help out the show. You can also navigate to that link by going to lordslimited.com and clicking on the support tab. There's a direct link there. And while you're at our website, maybe stop, pick up some merchandise for yourself or check out our tier list. Boom. All right. I want to chat to you about the format before we get into these pro drafts. First up, I want to chat about blue black because I know, I, I don't know how many times you've drafted it, but I know you've trophied with it once. And I have tried it quite a few times, and I cannot win with it. I have a 25% win rate with the deck over (laughs) six drafts, which is rough. Yeah, 3-3, and then the rest are 0-3s or 1-3s. Um, I'm, I'm curious what your thoughts are on the deck. I actually, as I swore it off, I just drafted a version of it right before we uh, sat down to record. I posted it in our discord chat. If you want to peep it and let me know your thoughts while I'm, I'm chatting here. But, you know, I, I felt like I had figured it out in terms of, okay, well, I think Voidwing hybrid is, is the key. It's the most important non-rare piece of that deck. It's very resilient. It sort of fuels the, the toxic synergies. The color pair wants to proliferate, which gets it back, which feels very good. But I've also felt like it really needs to draw its cards in the right order and kind of folds a little bit on the draw. And we'll talk about the play draw thing in just a, a little bit. But I'm curious, this deck, this is my first time running the sort of bring the ending experimental augury prologue to Phyresis package. I have three copies, two copies, and two copies of those cards, respectively. I'm just curious your thoughts on the archetype, what you feel like you understand about it. Well, my first thought is that I'm one and done with the archetype, baby. <laughs> trophied, oh, okay. and, trophied and got out of there. I have not <laughs> had to draft black very often in the format so far. And I do mm. think the format is starting to shift a little bit. I've had to draft black my last three drafts. So maybe that's mm. just an anomaly, but I do feel like you know, LRs put the word out about red green. People just watch the PT where the commentators were, you know, loving green red the whole weekend. So I think people are starting to wake up a little bit more. But I was also drafting after the PT. So maybe I was just drafting with sharks that had been watching the mm. PT and then hopped on arena to do some drafts or whatever. Who knows? Um, 
But looking at this deck, I do think you've got it built the way I see blue blacks built the most that I am scared of when okay. I'm playing in, in best of one. So this is kind of like a you've got it laid out as a tempo aggro deck. It's right. almost like blue black proliferate burn. So like your yes. two drop slot is super full for the listeners at home with things like Voidwing Hybrid, Mirror Convert that has Toxic One, Pestilent Siphoner, Blight Belly Rats. So in my experience, the best blue black decks do this. Like you're trying to get in the first few poison counters just early in the game. Like maybe you've got some cheap interaction, whatever to push things through. And then you're trying to from out of nowhere like lure the opponent into a race and then proliferate a bunch or prologue to Phyresis a bunch to get them like to swing the race in your favor. Right. That At a certain point they go, oh, I need to stabilize or whatever. And you're like, ah, too late. And even if you're at just four or five poison or whatever, your proliferate and your prologues can get the job done without combat. Yes. But everything you said about that deck and that plan is true. I think like you're trying to do this very intricate thing in an archetype that's super narrow uh-huh. And like you still just lose to red, green, commons and uncommons a lot of the time. That's what I think. I want to shout out one card in particular in the deck that's just really impressed me as a whole in the format. And that's Whisper of the Dross. So that's a single black target creature gets minus one, minus one until end of turn and proliferate. One of the things I've, I've noticed about Hexgold Slash, which is why it's emerged as, I think, consensus, certainly best red common. And w- would you say best? common overall in the set right now it and vorak but yeah i would personally take hex gold slash over vorak pack one pick one yeah i would too um and part of what that card does is it lets you steal the play from your opponent right so in the play where your opponent goes land go you play mountain go your opponent goes land two drop and you get to kill it you effectively steal the play from them and you go okay now the board is clear and i'll be the first one to impact the board and not always, but a good amount of the time, Whisper of the Dross, I've been calling it Diet Hexgold Slash. Like it sort of <laughs> does, it does that job a little bit. Your opponent goes, you know, nothing on one and then Mandible Justiciar on two, that's gone. Or the the three one with the oil counter in white that can be indestructible if you remove that oil counter. Like there's a good number of one toughness creatures that uh, Whisper can snipe. And then, of course, it can be tempo plus, you know, burn later in the game. But I've liked that card quite a bit. Yeah, Whispers is excellent. Completely co-sign everything you just said. Awesome. The next thing I want to talk about is just a sort of repackaging of something you said last week um, where you were like, you know, if I had a choice between a kind of whatever deck with a a few bombs in it versus a streamlined synergy deck, I would take the streamlined synergy deck over it. And I had a coaching session yesterday where I was trying to talk about why I thought what this person was doing in terms of delaying the decision by just sort of taking some medium red cards over speculating on some signpost uncommons was there's not really a reason to delay the decision for commons in this set. I think the bomby nature of it has been overblown because when I think about a bomby format like Crimson Vow, there's there's not nearly as many cards that I'm like, well, I want to delay the decision in pack one because if I didn't open a bomb in pack one, I'm probably likely to open one in pack two or get past one in pack two. The the bombs in this format are kind of few and far between. I feel like for every bomb I may be opening, like every thrun I may open, and I will say I have beaten my fair share of thruns. Um, You know, you can, thrun's not a great blocker. Thrun's only good on on the front foot. But you, you have so many derpy like, O4 artifacts or, you know, blue rare artifacts or mythics that do nothing. There's quite a few duds in the rare and mythic slot in this format. Yeah, that is certainly true. I think I agree with that. And so I just I've been repackaging this in my head that bombs may win games in this format, but streamlined decks win trophies. 
Yeah, love that for sure. I do think there are a lot of rares and mythics that are extremely good, though. Like, don't want to undersell that. But I agree with your thought on staying open for them is not necessarily a good plan if that's the reason you're trying to stay open. Because so much of the time, too, if you find the right archetype, like you're finding a color pair that's open, and you're likely to get past bombs in the format because people have locked into their own archetypes and maybe you're competing with other people or whatever. But there, this is a format that I can remember more than others that I am getting past rares that go in my archetype late, like late, late. Yeah, yeah. Well, especially I think in pack three, when everybody's settled, you can really kind of win the lottery and scoop up a bunch of powerful cards for your deck. Yeah, but love that thought about bombs win games, streamline decks, win trophies for sure. All right. Talk to me about some stat misunderstandings over the past week. Yeah, I put this in our show notes and I am not one to want to talk about stats, but I think in an effort to, you know, reach out to folks that are feeling badly about the format, just to try to make sure that everyone's got correct information about the format. And I also want to like shout out last week, our trial of one, I think was good content, but maybe didn't agree with everyone the most. I certainly think we got the most feedback about that segment of our show that we've ever gotten maybe about an episode. And I think some of it or a lot of it was that we didn't represent in good faith the position of people that didn't like the format. And that was on purpose, I think, to be kind of satirical or funny about it. But I think in doing that, we kind of alienated that segment of people rather than convincing them that the format was good, which was the goal, right? We want we want people to like the format and the way we presented it, I don't think led to that segment of people feeling better or feeling good about the format. I think our our point with it, or I will say my point with that segment was, yeah, sort of to be tongue in cheek, but to rather than try and convince people to like, because I don't care, I like, like or dislike the format, but to, you know, in a sort of making your own luck uh, effort of uh, to throw back to our 23rd episode, to perhaps tr- try to encourage people that they have more ownership or have more uh, hand in the things that feel out of their control in this format, and to, and to perhaps give them the tools to do so. Um, but maybe we weren't as successful as we hoped in that effort. No, I completely agree with that. I think the misstep was presenting it satirically. I think if we mm-hmm. had presented it Seriously, we would have reached those people in that manner a lot better. So in that effort or that that same vein here, I just want to dive into some stats about the format because I do feel like there's misinformation out there. So early on in the format, there was like a play draw chart that went through Twitter. And again, this is some small subset of the magic playing community, but Twitter's where I live and where you live. And that's what we see and what we what we hear. And one was a huge outlier on that chart in terms of play draw win percentage. Mm-hmm. But that was the data from early access. So if you look at the current data for one in best of one drafts, it has a 53.2 win rate on the play in best of one compared to formats like Kaldheim at 52.7, which is one of the most beloved draft formats on arena, it seems like only a 0.5 win percentage difference there mid at 52.4 M21 and Kaladesh remastered at 52. So like it's in the ballpark and it's near the faster side, but it's not gross you know, outlier as far as terms of, you know, win rate on the play. And the place where it is a huge outlier is the average turn length. The average turn length is only 8.4. So you get between a half a turn and a whole turn less than most formats on average. But that doesn't mean that you're going to win less when you're on the draw. It just means you got to lower your curve and pack cheap interaction like we've been saying for the last couple of weeks. And and that is where it really is the outlier. I think that the, the speed 
disparity and the play draw disparity has been overblown for sure, at least from the my perception of how people are interpreting uh, these these stats and perhaps misinterpreting the early stats. Like it exists, but I don't feel like it's so overwhelming that it feels like a different game or something to me. Right. Exists, but isn't insurmountable. Yeah, for sure. Uh, had an interesting stat as we're talking about them from uh, 2Duck Cubed because I asked him, I was like, hey, anything that we're going to miss in terms of stat misinterpretation that we're going to chat about? And he was like, nope, looks like uh, Ben got the right points. He was like, if you want to shout out this thing I posted earlier, which was, and I hope you won't mind me saying this, in response to him sort of tilting off the face of the earth with regards to his win rate in this format. And he made a comment about how like top players are losing more in this format. And Garrett, his partner on Mystical Dispute, sort of pushed back against that. And Carl just then, that was all he needed to to fuel the fire of diving deep into the data. So this was what he discovered. He looked at the top 500 players with all-time wins on 17 lands, and then filtered by at least 60 wins in Phyrexia All Will Be One, currently Mythic to weed out any like bronze to Mythic players that might have had an easier ride, and that they have a 60% win rate all time at least. There are 34 players in this group, including Carl, and surprisingly, including you and me, Ben. Um, I, <laughs> I was like, okay, wow, great. Uh, over 7,000 games of one have been played by this group. They have a 61.1% win rate and lifetime are 62.8% win rate. So a 1.7% drop, which is significant, I would say. Yeah, for sure. I mean, my personal data, I am probably the average of that group. I think my average win rate on 17 lands is like 61 point something, probably like Mm -hmm. 0.1.2. And I am way above my average in this format. Like I've got a 67% win rate, I think, in best of one. So like I'm crushing it. But I think some of that is probably running good. But I also just think from very early on in the format, I understood what you had to do And I think the format plays to my strengths as a magic player, just in terms of like macro decision making early in the game. I agree with that. And and I guess so the, the point here, like, why am I repeating these stats? I think do think the takeaway is and what Ben is alluding to with like him understanding the rules of engagement, the, the early turns really, really matter. You know, spoiler for my uh, Keeper Mulligan article was just about like, if you don't impact the board by turn three, you are significantly behind, especially if you don't impact the board by turn three on the draw. I think you just can expect to be significantly behind. We, we Ben almost scolded me in one of our showdown videos recently uh, where he said, he was like, well, you lost, but you didn't play by the rules. And those are the, those are the rules. <laughs> those are the um, rules. So I do think the takeaway is that the pressure of the early turns means that slipping up leaves less room to outplay the opponent. So if these are you know top players on 17 lands by sort of volume, that they're not able to leverage that play skill as much because so much of the decision-making is, is compacted or, or perhaps even, you know, so much of the decision-making happens, so much of the decision-making happens even before the games with deck building or drafting if you don't deck build and draft by the rules as well. Yes, that's, that's where I would say a lot of people get themselves in trouble is they just haven't even set themselves up to be able to play by the rules often enough from how they drafted and built their decks. You got a couple of cards here you want to chat about. Yeah, just a few cards that have shifted or that I want to point out from just some talk in the community, our thoughts about them or my thoughts about them. So first up is Crawling Chorus. This is a single white 1-1 uh, with Toxic 1. And when it dies, it leaves behind a 1-1 Phyrexian Might that can't block. This card is very good according to the data. And I had it a little lower in my personal rankings. And I have since come up on it after playing with it a little bit more and playing against it a lot more. I don't think it's 
quite as good as the rest of the world thinks it is, mostly because I'm a little lower on toxic than the rest of the world. But if if you are toxic, this is probably one of the best cards that you can have just because it gets in early and the double body is super annoying. Similarly to Barb Batterfist being great because mm-hmm. it leaves something behind. Like this just trades early with all the X ones. It's really annoying that it plays offense well and defense well. I think that's what I missed about it because I had some bad experiences with it early on, but not because Crawling Chorus was bad because I put bad cards around mm. crawling chorus if that makes sense and then drew some wrong conclusions about it yeah i think that card and stinging harvester that's the three mana three two in black that dies into a one one just the fact that it plays what you're talking about it's why chimney rabble is so good right it does what you want to do in the format create an attacker and a blocker and the fact that these cards do that you're like well do i really attack into this one one or attack into this three two and trade and then i'm dealing with this might being able to attack me back coupled with the fact that well do i care you know because you're, you're often also thinking about getting corrupted and enabling you know is your opponent going to be able to enable their corrupted payoffs as well i agree crawling chorus you know i I still think i'm taking planar disruption over it but besides that it's my top white common yeah i think i'm still taking just a cr over it but that's more where i want to end up there yeah i think in my mind those are similarly powered cards now in different archetypes and that was not true before cool Next up is Gitaxian Raptor. This is the two and a blue one four that comes in with three oil counters and you can remove an oil counter to give it plus one minus one until end of turn. This is, I think, the best blue common according to the stats. I was listening to LR and LSV was talking about how this is the best blue common and people in our discord, you know, really good players, NCAA have shouted out this is the best blue common as well. And I disagree or want to push back a little bit in that I think this is the best blue common in a vacuum or intrinsically like in what it does in the games, right? It's very difficult to attack into a Gitaxian Raptor profitably because of the four toughness and a lot of times there's so many X ones and your opponent always has the choice of, you know, flipping it into a four one. So it's sometimes hard to even push through it with combat tricks, which is what you'd normally do with a card like this that has high toughness. But I think the thing that is bad about Gitaxian Raptor is it's not an important piece in any of the good blue decks. So if you're if you're drafting blue and you're picking Gitaxian Raptor highly, you're setting yourself up to be in a blue deck that is good blue cards as opposed to a good blue archetype, if that makes sense. Like, I think every good blue archetype is centered around artifacts, and you just basically don't want Gitaxian Raptor in your artifact blue decks. I couldn't have said it better. I think there are some decks where Raptor might shine more if you're not artifact focused, but certainly blue white doesn't care about Raptor. Some versions of blue red don't care about Raptor if your blue red deck is still artifact focused. Some blue red decks will if you're doing the oil non-creature spells proliferate type deal and i do think there are probably some blue black control decks where raptor is good as as what you're talking about like it's really hard to attack into etc you know holds the ground holds the skies but those are certainly not decks that are going to be fueled by commons so you will never have to pick raptor like it's a top common yeah so it's a weird spot to be that it's like the most intrinsically powerful common but is not wanted necessarily in a lot of the best blue decks like every blue deck that i've had success with or wanted to draft has always wanted i have malkator and the malkator's watcher is the one one that dies like i would take malkator's watcher over gitaxian raptor in a heartbeat the one one that dies and lets you draw a card that has one one flying vigilance like i just value that card so much higher than gitaxian raptor because of how i'm trying to draft blue to end up in blue archetypes i 
Couldn't have said it better myself. And lastly on the list is Hazardous Blast, three and a red uh, for a sorcery that deals one damage to each creature your opponent's control, and those creatures can't block this turn. So this card has been on quite a journey for me. I initially thought it was great because I thought it was Plague Wind uh, to kill all the X1s in the format. And then I realized that it wasn't that. Um, But since then, other people have come way up on it. Like I know Alex really likes this card a lot. There's just a lot of scuttle with the data that Hazardous Blast is good. And I do think this is a situationally super powerful card. But I don't think you need to pick it aggressively. And I think if you're treating it like it's, you know, Chimney Ravel or something, if you're picking it aggressively according to data or whatever the case may be, I don't even know what the data is in the card. But I do know that people... 10th best common. Yeah, I do know when I'm streaming that people constantly want me to pick Hazardous Blast (laughs) and main deck it. And I just don't think you need to. Not every red deck, in my opinion, wants Hazardous Blast. Some red decks really do. I do love your point from previous episodes that it goes way up in value if you have Axiom Engraver, the one in a red 1-3 that has two oil counters and you can tap to rummage, remove an oil counter so that you can pitch it when it's not good. But the other thing I will say is I do appreciate those people's view a little bit more now that I've been playing more at Mythic because once you're in the higher ranks, everybody's playing by the rules a little bit more. And when both players are playing by the rules, especially in red green mirrors, which happen a lot at the the high ranks, the games do stall out. And a lot yes. of times you do end up in a position where, well, if my opponent has had a blast, I lose. So it is a valuable card in that sense, like in a very niche part of the format. But I think you're going to get yourself in trouble if you pick it aggressively because people are telling you that it is good. Do you know what I'm well, saying? Like, so I think I understand everything about it now, and I still don't think you need to pick it super highly. I, yes, I agree with that, too. I've gone on a similar journey and like I've had it win games that no other card could win. My opponents have cast it to win games. No other card could win. I have also seen it cast when it doesn't really do that much or like does something but doesn't win them the game. I've seen it rot in my hand. I can only anticipate that it has rotted in my opponent's hand but i haven't seen that you know like i just don't think it's this you know be all end all that i think a lot of folks are drawing conclusions about it from and i totally agree you don't have to pick it like that like you you don't want more than one in a deck right that is my feeling i think the other thing the the biggest knock on it that i could say to be careful about how high you're picking it or how aggressively you're including it is it it does nothing to help you play by the rules of the format. Right. Well, then sort of the the pushback that we keep getting or that, you know, the non-I believers give out is, you know, I is so bad on blocks. The, the same is true about Hazardous Blast, right? This card is atrocious if you need to be on defense. Well, and I isn't bad on blocks if you're getting the opponent dead. Best best defense is a good offense, as they say in chess. That's true. Well, and and shout out to Chromecat, baby. Um, all right, so give me a little uh, give me a little archetype breakdown stats for the PT before we get into these drafts. Ooh, yeah, love this. I was very nervous about the old PT draft portion of the PT data. I really wanted the format to do okay, and the format lived up. I think so. We got an archetype breakdown of the the day one draft three O's. And every color pair is represented. So red, white coming in with four green, black and blue, white also repping four wins each Uh, red, green standing alone with three wins, a bunch of archetypes with two wins, green, white, blue, red, black, white, blue, black and black, red. And then bringing up last place with one win for one three oh is blue, green. That was Gabe Nassif on day one. Shout out to Gabe. We're going to get to his draft in just a little bit. You'll love to see it. I mean, this spread is surprising in the sense of like, you know, I wouldn't have been surprised if we hadn't seen all ton color pairs and certainly wouldn't have been surprised if it was like eight for red green or whatever. But this spread is nice. Well, and I think shows that, 
you know, if people were looking to draft red green, it seems like people capitalized on blue white, like the eye of Malkator archetype being a little underdrafted. I'm surprised to see green black that high, but also maybe that's a nod to people fighting over the Naya colors a little bit, you know? Well, and I do think that in a pod of, you know, there's a lot of conclusions you could draw from in pod play, but I do think in a pod of smart drafters, like, Synergy decks become harder to assemble potentially and raw card quality wins out. And I do think black green has some pretty darn good raw card quality, especially up the higher rarities. Ooh, yeah, I love that. All right, let's take a quick ad break and we'll be back with LSV's day one draft. This podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp. We all have days where we're locked into life and feel energetic and motivated right from the moment we wake up. But unfortunately, that's not every day. Doing my best to take care of my newborn son, my wife, and keep working can oftentimes leave me feeling stretched too thin. It's those times where keeping my mental health strong is most important, and therapy can be a huge help. Having an outside eye to release stress, bounce ideas off of, or problem solve with can prepare you to take on everything life throws at you. If you're thinking of giving therapy a try, BetterHelp is a great option. It's convenient, flexible, affordable, and entirely online. If you want to live a more empowered life, therapy can help get you there. Visit BetterHelp.com slash Lords today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash Lords. And now back to the show. So I tuned in to coverage Friday morning, saw Marshall and Chion just beaming in the coverage booth, <laughs> uh, saw the the eight people in the pod, saw LSV was there, and I was like, there is no way I would bet any amount of money that LSV is going to be our featured drafter. And of course he was. Well, yeah, you got to you got to put the celebs on the on the TV screen. I mean, that's good. Good television, as you like to say, right? Just good television. I agree. And it was good television. And I think, unfortunately, for both of our featured drafters, as we get to Nassif's draft on day two. They had really tough seats, I think. Really hard seats. And I think before we get into this as well, like the disclaimer that we are, despite having cashed tournaments respectively <laughs> now. No, Ben, think, you said it. You're a pro. I think a, a bunch of plebs compared to LSB and Nassif. So take our critiques and criticisms with a grain of salt and the knowledge that we understand that both of those players are infinitely better at magic <laughs> than we are. With that out of the way, would you like to take <laughs> would you like to take a seat at the round table, Ben? Heck yeah, baby. One day. I'm going to be there one day. All right. Pack one, pick one. You sit down and see the following bomb rare Zenith Chronicler two mana for a three one artifact. Whenever a player casts a multicolored spell, its opponent draws a card. Yeah. Wah, wah. No, thank you. Really rough. Actually, just really rough all, all around here. Uh, LSV has a couple uncommons to take a look at. Scheming Aspirant. That's the one in a black one three. Whenever you proliferate, uh, each opponent loses two life. You gain two life. Viral Spawning is the two in a green. Make a three. 3-3 with Toxic 1 and has flashback if they're corrupted. And I think really the best common in the pack is Pestilent Siphoner, the one on a black 1-1 one, one flyer Toxic 1. That is a yikes because Pestilent Siphoner is way down yeah. the, the common rankings. I, I agree. Like it was what, number two? I was like, maybe this is going to be number one. I mean, I'm taking I'm taking the rat over it. I think Whisper of the Dross is better than it. I think Gulping Scrap Trap is better. The three two that dies into a one one is better. Like Siphoner is su- it went from you know on the early access me being like pack one pick eight jump ship for Siphoner <laughs> to now I'm just like no 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 thank you yeah the body's just not relevant enough so I think best card out of these four is Viral Spawning and that's what I would pick and that's what LSV took as well. Easy peasy. Move on to pick two. There's a drown in Icker. That's the one in a black minus four, minus four to a creature and proliferate. There's a venomous brutalizer two GG for a four, four with toxic three. And it has a kicker one in a green. Uh, if you kick it when it ETBs, you proliferate. 
I think it's probably between those two comments to shout out the blue skull bomb, that surgical skull bomb, another pestilent siphoner, and an axiom engraver, the one three rummager. Yeah, this is a harder choice. I mean, you can take venomous brutalizer to stay green, or you can take drown and icker as a better card in the worst color. Mm -hmm. I mean, I assume if this were something like hex gold slash LSB would just be snapping that up here. Mm -hmm. I think personally, I would land on Drown and Icker because I would be really worried about my curve. And I would also be anticipating that maybe green's going to be contested or green red's going to be contested. And I would want to be flexible to draft black if my seat were supposed to draft black. Mm-hmm. So I think I would take Drown and Icker here, but I would be worried about it. I wouldn't be happy about it. I would be very willing to move off it. But I think with Brutalizer, I just think if you want four drops, you can find four drops. And Brutalizer is a good four drop, but I don't think it's that insane. Like you're almost never doing the proliferate thing for six mana. So it's essentially a four, four toxic beater. And I, I think that is something that you can replace if you need to replace it. Well, and I was going to bring this point up and then I was listening to limited resources last night and they also talked about it. Like, you know, this card is, is good, but it's really rough. And I've been on the giving end of this more than the receiving end, thankfully. But when you snipe a four drop or God forbid, a five drop with hex gold slash these, these X fours that have toxic, you just feel like you've completely stolen something in the game, you know? And I think brutalizer suffers from that. It's interesting. This is a fun thought experiment, I think, because it's a lot clearer for me. If, if contagious Vorak is your value green three drop from pack one, and then you're presented with this pack. I think it's a much clearer drown for me, a much clearer black removal spell for me. Whereas having viral spawning, already sort of of having a card, the only green card that is a corrupted payoff, and then seeing Brutalizer makes me more... I'm usually not excited about Brutalizer, but this would be the first time where I I, I was thinking like, oh, he should just take Drown. But then thinking about spawning and Brutalizer together, I was like, okay, I could see it. And that's what he landed on. So I think think it's defensible here for sure. Oh, yeah. Very close pick. And again, LSV is much better at magic than I am. I just think (laughs) personally, I would have taken Drown there. All right, so two green cards in your pile. Move on to pick three. There's a Tyvar stand. Curious your thoughts on this card these days. Uh, X and a green for uh, an uncommon instant. Target creature gets indestructible, hexproof, and plus X, plus X until end of turn. Card's incredible. It's incredible when I have it. It's incredible when my opponents have it. It's just an absolute beating. Yeah, it's uh, it's really flexible. The fact that it can just sort of do a snakeskin veil impression for single green and gets better from there is awesome. I mean, it pulls me into green, and that's hard to do for a combat trick. Mm, yeah, that's true. Uh, some comments to shout out. Another a pretty weak pack. There's an indoctrination attendant. Love this card. Three and a white for the three, four. When it enters the battlefield, you can pick up another permanent you control. If you do, you make a one, one might. And then there's a blade graft aspirant. That's the two and a red, two, three menace. Equipment you cast costs one less to cast and equipped costs to equip to the aspirant cost one less. Yeah, I think this is a pretty clear Tyvar stand here for LSB, especially having the two green cards. But even had I taken Drown, I would also be taking Tyvar stand here. Card's great. Yep. Uh, pick four, Shouldred's Edict. That's the uncommon one in a black edict spell. They can sack a token, a non-token, or a planeswalker. I got got by this in my sealed run yesterday. Someone, I jaced plus to minus three, minus O. Oh. I was like, all right, Jace is going to do its thing right now. Nope. Sack your planeswalker. How rude. Yeah. I mean, Frasco's Fall does that as well. But I think both those cards are a little more main deckable and sealed for that reason. Mm-hmm. 
Uh, there's an oil gorger troll. That's uh, three GG for the three four. When it enters the battlefield, you gain three life, and if you have an oil counter somewhere, you draw a card. Malkator's Watcher, one in a blue one one uh, artifact with flying and vigilance. When it dies, you draw a card. Another Axiom Engraver. Oh, and a Tamio's Logbook, the the blue artifact uncommon payoff to to draw cards with. Yeah, this is a really sad pack for LSV. I mean, like, there's nothing really good enough to make you want to branch out into another color. But this is where, you know, we've talked about you can draft red for itself as a color. Mm-hmm. It's a lot harder to do that with green because right now you've got Viral Spawning, Brutalizer, Tyvar Stand, like pointing you towards toxic and then you've got this oil gorger troll and i think i have seen the light more with what you were talking about last week with the rust vine cultivators and green kind of doing its own thing maybe with just green good cards mm-hmm. so i think certainly you can take oil gorger troll here if you're lsv and try to draft that style of deck but i would be pretty nervous about my curve already four picks deep being only in one color with no two drops. I mean, I, I think you're supposed to take Oil Gorger Troll here, probably. I think had I taken Drown and Icker, I might take Shieldred's Edict here just yes. to keep my curve lower. Um, mm-hmm. But with LSV's path, I think you take Oil Gorger Troll and you're just pretty unhappy about it. Yeah, I think that's true. And normally I would not be unhappy about Troll. I'm a, I'm a pretty big fan of the Troll. But what you're saying already is that normally I think green can do what red does slightly worse, but can do its sort of inherent synergy thing. Doesn't really need to care about toxic or oil particularly m- that much. But <laughs> you got spawning and brutalizer, which are two uncommons that are sort of exceptions to that rule. Yeah. Pick five, an interesting decision here. So he sees Serum Core Chimera. It's the blue red signpost uncommon. It's a four mana for a two four flyer. Whenever you cast a non creature spell, you put an oil counter on it. You can remove three oil counters from it at sorcery speed. I've gotten got by that. Remove three oil counters from it at sorcery speed. Um, and then uh, you draw a card and you may discard a card. If you do discard a non land card this way, you deal three damage to a creature. Um, pretty interesting card. Gonna get your thought about that in just a second. Probably the best card in the pack otherwise is Basilica Shepherd. Three white white for the three three flyer comes into play with two mites. A um, couple blue cards in the pack, Experimental Augury and Chrome Prowler. And the only green card to speak of is Adaptive Spore Singer. The two and a green, two, two Vigi enters the battlefield. You can either proliferate or give something plus two, plus two in Vigilance until end of turn. Yeah, this is, again, a very tough pack for LSV. You're deep into green. Spore Singer is the best green card. That's not good enough to pick here. I think the best card in the pack is Basilica Shepherd. And I think with the root LSV is taken through the draft so far, I would land on Basilica Shepherd. Yeah, I think that makes sense here. I would take the Serum Core Chimera myself. And I hope I would also do this on the big stage of the day one pro <laughs> tour. Perhaps I would be too scared. But this is sort of what I'm feeling about in the format is like, yeah, Basilica Shepherd is good. But Serum Core Chimera fifth may be a signal. And now it may not be a signal for the best archetype, but as a signal for a an archetype, and I feel very comfortable drafting blue decks in this format. Um, and if white happens to be open, not that I can necessarily get a Basilica Shepherd later, but I, I will feel really bad if I miss out on a clear lane because I'm feeling a little at sea right now. Yeah, for sure. I agree with that thought. I think for Basilica Shepherd, it goes well with spawning and brutalizer. Yes. Like if you just ignore oil gorger troll you've yes. got a reasonable start to a green white toxic then assuming that you can get some low drops i think is why i like basilica mm-hmm. shepherd here i think personally if i were going to dip into like thinking about audibling here i think i would take chrome prowler over serum core chimera wow you hate the chimera huh i yeah i just don't 
think it's a great card or a great archetype. I like blue red as as artifact focused more than I like it as oil focused. I guess because then you leave yourself out to blue white, but even Basilica Shepherd is still good in blue white. Yeah. Um, yeah. All right. So LSV does land on the Shepherd here. Pick six. He gets another Tyvar stand with, you know, another blue skull bomb, chimney rabble, the three, three haste and an escaped experiment. The uh, blue artifact, two mana, two, one. Yeah, this is again like bad news for LSV. Yes. I, I just don't know what you're supposed to have done if you're him and you've started in green. Like, so I think you have to take Tyvar stand. Uh-huh. But you're pretty sad about it. Like, there's just not a lot of wiggle room. Like, if you didn't, if you didn't hedge on Drown and Icker, and you didn't hedge on, you know, Chimera for you or Chrome Prowler for me, like, there's just nothing in this pack for you. Like, you could take Surgical Skull Bomb or something, but that just seems so crazy to me after you've like started in green. I just can't imagine audibling that hard at the PT, you know? Yeah, I guess. But like, yeah, I guess you just like want to have a functional deck. And Tyvar stands great. Like, I think you take Tyvar stand here and you're just like, man, I need two drops. But you also have to be kind of worried that your neighbor maybe is drafting green and just doesn't know how good Tyvar stand is or something. Mm-hmm. Like, not having seen twos yet in really any color is like, whoo. Yeah, it's tough. Uh, pick seven, I think, is one of the two picks I really disagree with. There's another Basilica Shepherd and a Plague Nurse. That's the uh, three and a green, three, four with Toxic two. You can pay two and a green to give each other creature you control with Toxic an additional Toxic one until end of turn. There's also a Volshock Splitter, the uh, for Mirrodin four, two and a Chrome Prowler. Yeah, again, this is not a good pack for LSV. Like he's got to be very unhappy at this point. I think for where he's at with the green cards plus Basilica Shepherd, I think I would be taking a second Basilica Shepherd here and trying to lock in green, white, toxic plague nurse. And LSV even said this on LR recently. I'm like 25 minutes into their latest episode. Like it's just a card you're hoping to never play. And so Basilica Shepherd is a card you would want to play in green, white, toxic. And I think I, I would take it here over the plague nurse. And also gives him a little bit of pivoting. I mean, I agree that like if he's thinking about playing all of the green and white cards he takes so far, it doesn't feel great to have Oil Gorger Troll and two Shepherds in your five drop slot with no twos yet or twos or ones yet. Um, But I think what I like about the second Shepherd is that it also gives him a little bit of pivot room into maybe black, white Toxic is open, maybe white, blue Artifacts is open, and you can play Shepherd in both of those decks happily. Yep, I agree with that for sure. It does give him a little bit of of pivot room. Pick eight, there is not a single green or white card in the pack, Ben. Yeah, that's <laughs> very concerning if you're LSB. That's terrifying. So uh, he grabs a, a Shrapnel Slinger. That's the one in a red 2-2. When it enters the battlefield, you can sacrifice a creature. If you do, you can destroy an artifact. And there's an Eye of Malkator, our, uh, our mascot for this format. Yeah, I think I would take Eye here if... I had had two Basilica Shepherds. It's yeah. much harder to take I with the route that LSV is taking through the draft. And in fact, I think you can't. And you're just taking Shrapnel Singer as your first two drop. And you're maybe hoping that you can, you know, get into red green or you've got green white. You're, you're basically green red or green white or just green whatever color you can pair two drops with green with at this point. Mm-hmm. And so Shrapnel Singer as a two drop feels pretty good for LSV here. I agree. And the rest of the pack doesn't round out super well for him. Not that you should expect it to, given the weakness of his initial picks. He grabs a a green sphere land, a free from flesh, thrill of possibility, Mira Kinsmith, meld web curator and escaped experiment. Yeah, just not not a great run for him. Well, and it was a super hard seat. I, I do think no matter what you do, you end up in a very bad spot. 
at mm-hmm. the end of pack one, but you could like I think if you had taken Drown and Shieldred's Edict, the double Basilica Shepherd, like you maybe could have pivoted into artifacts. Mm-hmm. You get the surgical skull bomb on the wheel, you get a chrome prowler on the wheel, you get an escaped experiment. Like you do have like a much more functional looking start to a blue artifacts deck. But like I said, I, with the start of the draft, it's really hard to make that audible. I don't know. Like I think there are I, our routes that you can take through this that put you in a better spot than what LSV did. But we're also looking at all of the packs with 2020 hindsight. Like it's just so tough. Yeah, totally agree. And I will say too, I watched both these drafts, LSVs and Nassif's. And I just kept thinking the whole time, man, the packs are so bad, man, there's no two drops. But I think they just both had really hard seats because there were people that had some amazing looking decks as well. Yeah, I for think sure. they both just had really hard seats. Yeah, and we don't have to belabor the rest of these picks here. I mean, pack two, I think he sort of locks into white, and we sort of had an inkling that he would with a planar disruption. Pick one uh, gets a nice contagious Vorak pick two over a hex gold slash. And Marshall did point out he was like, slash is really good against LSV currently, right? Because he had the brutalizer and the plague nurse. Um, so I, I don't know if he was thinking about like, hating it slash trying to move into red, but he he just landed on the Vorak there. And then uh, a couple of Rustvine cultivators strung together here in pick three and pick four. And then pack three, he gets some goodies, right? He opens an annex entry. That's the, the three mana one four uncommon that lets you exile an artifact or creature with mana value three or less. Then he gets past evolved Spinoderm, the four mana five five with oil counters that's hexproof and then trample until all the oil counters disappear and you sacrifice it. And then pick Pack three, pick seven. Shout out to Green White. He gets a Slaughter Singer, the signpost uncommon. So like gets some goodies in pack three, sort of gets paid off, but it's not quite enough. His deck is a little all over the place. Now, I didn't think it was that bad for a pod draft, right? So we, we have the the deck pick here in our show notes. And, you know, if you, you watch the coverage, they show it. And it, I think for a pod draft, I was like, this could be fine. His lack of interaction is troubling, right? Only the disruption and the annex entry. But he's got beef. He's got ways to win. Yeah, I think this is a reasonable looking deck. The The number one issue is the lack of interaction. So if we run through the deck, he's got triple Rustvine Cultivator in the ones, Prosthetic Injector, that's the equipment that can give something toxic, double Tyvar Stand, a white Skull Bomb, Planar Disruption as the removal spell, Slaughter Singer, the green-white uncommon, Predation Steward, that's the 2-2 that can pump things with oil counters, a Canker Bloom, the 3-2 that can blow up artifacts and enchantments, Branch Blight Stalker, the 3-1 Toxic, Double Contagious Vorak, Annex Sentry Viral Spawning, the 4s, Brutalizer, Plague Nurse, you're hoping to not run that one, and then the rare Evolve Spinoderm, Double Oil Gorger Troll in the 5s, Amir and Bardish, and then a Paladin of Predation topping out uh, at 7 mana. So like you've got bodies, you've got tricks, like the, the biggest issue is the lack of removal. And we saw that in round one against Willie Edel, like LSV was basically just dead to Masticor both yeah. games. So it really felt the lack of, you know, a fight spell there or something along those lines to try to get that off the battlefield. But all told, a, a reasonable deck. And I think you also saw, too, like despite it not going his way, like did cut green got some green in pack two and made sure he drafted all of the green in pack two and then really did get hooked up in pack three. Like it was clearly getting passed to him in pack three. Yeah, for sure. No, I, I agree with that. Uh, unfortunately, he went one, two, but did get to, to rattle off the three, two in Pioneer to qualify for day two. All right. And with that, we're going to take a quick ad break and we'll be back with Nasif's day two draft. 
Our next partner is Athletic Greens. It's been quite a year for me, with a life-changing diagnosis at the beginning of 2022 to taking care of a newborn at the beginning of 2023. It's never been more important for me to stay on top of my health, and AG1 by Athletic Greens helps me do that. Whether you're looking for increased energy, immune system support, or better gut health, AG1 is a great product for you. With taking care of Jonah, I don't have a ton of time or energy for anything else. One scoop of AG1 powder and water lets me start the day by checking a ton of boxes. Every scoop is packed with 75 vitamins, minerals, and whole food sourced ingredients. It doesn't take a PT level magic player to recognize that that's a lot of value. If you're looking for an easier way to take supplements, Athletic Greens is giving you a free one-year supply of vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. Go to athleticgreens.com slash LOL. That's athleticgreens.com slash LOL. Check it out. So Nassif was our lone blue-green draft trophy from day one. Is that correct? That is correct. Shout out to him making making uh, lemonade out of lemons, I guess. Yeah, I mean, he said Cedric interviewed him. He said, you know, our team thought this was one of the worst archetypes. I was really hoping to not end up here. But, you know, he wheeled the the green, blue, gold on commons. And he was like, all right, I guess I'm the sucker that's going to be drafting blue green and then drafted it to a three. Oh, love to see it. All right. Well, let's see what he managed to put together for day two. Yeah, day two, he is in a stacked pod. He's at the top table, I think. So pack one, pick one, sits down and sees the following options. Bladehold Warwhip, that's the red, white, gold uncommon. That's a 2-2 a double striker and then can equip to give something else double strike. There's Drown and Icker, one in a black for the sorcery speed, minus four, minus four, and proliferate. Sword of Forge and Frontier is the mythic rare. Three mana for the sword, two to equip. Equipped creature gets plus two, plus two, and has pro red and green. And whenever equipped creature deals combat damage to a player, exile the top two cards of your library. You may play those cards this turn, and you can play an additional land this turn. There's also a Flensing Raptor hanging out in the pack, two and a white for a 2-2 flyer. And when it ETBs, you can jump a toxic creature into the air and give it plus one, plus one. Yeah, I mean, you got to be thrilled to see a colorless mythic rare that is, you know, the nuts against the best archetype in the format. It's a good pack. Like, you're kind of bummed, I guess, to pass the war whip because that's also very strong. But, you know, can't be mad about colorless mythic on uh, day two. No, yeah. Slam the sword of Forge and Frontier and moving on to pack one, pick two. See the following cards as options. There's Volt Charge, two in red for the instant, deal three damage to something proliferate. There's Chimney Rabble, the four mana, three, three haste, make a one, one. Dune Mover, card that's gone up for me quite a bit recently. Ooh, say it ain't so. No, you don't like the Dune uh, Mover? No, I don't understand. There's so much love for it these days. It's fine. It's <laughs> it's, it's so replaceable. It's two mana, two, one, toxic one. And when it ETBs, you can search your library for basic, put it on top of your library. I just have liked it. It's been a nice little... It helps you hit a land drop when you need to. It's a two that's playable in any deck. It just does a lot of small things well. Got my eye on Dune Mover for the Golden Egg Award. No, get out. <laughs> oh, my God. I'm starting a revolution. I just, I just said that to Tilt. I'm sorry. <laughs> Mission accomplished. <laughs> All right. We've also got Volshock Splitter. That's the 4-2 uh, equipment that gives something plus 2 plus O. And another Zenith Chronicler, the, the two mana three one rare. Yeah, another I think pretty easy pick here in Volt Charge. Not much else in in contention, though. It is uh, interesting that you've noted only colorless and red cards in this pack. Yeah, I mean there weren't there weren't it was a weak pack. It was a clear clear Volt Charge. All right, so you got Sword of Forge and Frontier and a Volt Charge. Moving on to pick three, you see the following cards. There's a Stinging Hive Master, two and a black for the three two, and when it dies, it makes a one one Phyrexian Might. 
There's indoctrination attendant, three and a white for the three, four. And if you pick up a permanent, when it ETBs, you get to make a one, one for Exian Might. There's a veil of assimilation, the one and a white artifact. And when it or another artifact enters the battlefield under your control, target creature you control gets plus one, plus one in vigilance until end of turn. And there's also evolving adaptive, green for the zero, zero, ETBs with an oil counter, has power and toughness equal to the oil counters on it. And whenever a creature with greater power or toughness enters the battlefield, you add another oil counter to it. All right, a f- few things. One, I think this is a clear evolving adaptive. This is just one of the best uncommons in the format, full stop. It's absolutely broken with free from flesh. Like free from flesh becoming a plus four, plus four until end of turn trick with this that then leaves behind two counters is awesome. Um, and I have to know, listeners, who's taking the veil of assimilations out there? Because every time I see it and I'm drafting blue white, I go, <laughs> I go, that's gonna wheel, and it never does. Who's taking it? What, what deck are you putting it in? And why I can't I have it? I don't know. It wheels all the time for me. I think oh, you're just running bad. Wow, I am running really bad. Then never wheels. Uh, but yeah, <laughs> nice to see adaptive here. I mean, this is like you gotta be as opposed to LSV's one two three. If I'm to see right now, I'm like bouncing in my chair. Oh yeah, this is an insanely good start to a draft for sure. So you've got those three cards moving on to pick four. See the following cards as options. There's Indoctrination Attendant again. Necrogen Rot Priest, the black green gold uncommon, the one five. Mm. And you can pay one black green to give something death touch. And then your toxic creatures do an additional toxic and it itself has toxic two. There's a green sack land and exuberant fusling says the red star one and its power is equal to the number of oil counters on it it etbs with an oil counter and whenever an artifact or a creature is put into the graveyard from the battlefield it gets another oil counter and then there's also mesmerizing dose one blue blue for the claustrophobia effect tap something down can't untap and it proliferates yeah i think this is another pretty clear fusling um really like it in conjunction with the evolving daptive again now i'm just like on the lookout for as many free from fleshes as I can possibly get my hand on. Volt charge uh, proliferates onto both of them. Bing, bang, boom. That's interesting. I would take Rot Priest here. Whoa. Yeah. I mean, I don't like Fusling that much. Seems like we've done a flip on that card since the old Crash Course argument. Yeah, I I have found Fusling to largely be not super relevant. And Rot Priest is an insanely good card in Green Black. I think Rot Priest is the best reason to draft Green Black Toxic. And all you're giving up on is a Volt Charge to make that pick. So I'm I'm very excited about the Rot Priest potentially. And I don't feel like if Red is open that I'm going to miss Fusling that much. Oh, yeah. Wow. Well, I, I like Fusling a lot more than you, it sounds like. Cool. And Nassif agrees with you and takes the exuberant Fusling here. Moving on to pick five, you see the following cards as options. There's a Mandible Justiciar, one and a white for the 2-1. When an artifact ETBs, it gets plus one, plus one until end of turn. There's Volshock Splitter, the 4-2 equipment. Furnace Punisher, two and a red for the 3-3 three, three Menace with some flavor text about basics. <laughs> and Ickerspit Basilisk, two and a green for the 1-3 with Toxic 1 and a Death Touch. I mean, turns out three mana, three, three menace is pretty darn good in a format with equipment, in a format that cares about racing, in a format with good tricks, in a format where you've got a sword of forge and frontier. Yeah, Furnace Punisher is great. And I think certainly if you've taken Fusling, you take Furnace Punisher here. I would probably also take Furnace Punisher over Ickerspit Basilisk. There's some part of me that wants to spec on Mandible just to CR as well. Is that crazy? And I think that's a little crazy. I think you got to pump the brakes for the love, the love affair with your two mana lifelinker. Oof, it's so good. You can't stop me. You can't stop me. Can't I mean, stop I, I, yeah, I, lo- I love the card too, but I think, I don't know if I want it to be my first white card and it's certainly not, I don't want to give up on evolving adaptive yet, you know? 
Well, you could take just a CR without giving up on evolving adaptive, I think. And then just be green white. You can just be green white and have the man- mandible just a CR be a 2-1 lifelink, which is also yeah. just a fine card in the format. Uh, very true. Um, but yeah, Furnace Punisher here makes a lot of sense and Nassif agrees. So you've got Sword of Forge and Frontier, Volt Charge, Evolving Adaptive, Exuberant Fusling, and Furnace Punisher. Moving on to pick six, see the following cards as options. There's Amir and Bardish. Uh, that's the 4-3 equipment that gives something plus two plus one on Vigilance. Conduit of Worlds is rare still floating around in the pack. 2GG, you can play land cards from your graveyard and you can tap to target target permanent card in your graveyard and you can cast that card this turn and you can only cast one spell per turn if you've activated that ability to cast a permanent from your graveyard. Yeah, I, I think Conduit is just too slow for the format, right? I agree, except it's an insane sideboard card, right? Oh, sure. In certain yeah. matchups, I think I would... Be tempted to take it just because it's like a 10 out of 10 sideboard card. That's fair. I I did it. I did that day two at uh, the not the GP, whatever the SCG con. Um, And I never ended up citing it in. But I do think in certain matchups, it's out of this world. Good. Yeah, I buy that. Uh, There's also Blazing Crescendo. This is the one in a red plus three plus one combat trick that lets you exile the top card of your library and you can play that card until the end of your next turn. There's a bring the ending, the one in a blue counter something unless its owner pays two. And then if they're corrupted, it just counters it in general. And there's also a Titanic Growth, one in a green for the plus four plus four combat trick. Yeah, I'm excited. Next week, I think we're going to talk about some like play patterny things, um, have some card evaluations with regards to archetypes and combat tricks, I think are a big thing to unpack. Um, I haven't been playing a lot of Blazing Crescendos because I don't find them to be super synergistic. And I worry about, you know, like, is it really draw a card? But I, I understand Nassif taking it here to just get deeper into red. Have you been playing a lot of Crescendos? I have played it some. I've been fairly disappointed when I have been playing it because a lot of times it doesn't do enough to let your creature win the combat. Mm. It like forces a trade a lot of the times and then you kind of get an extra card out of the deal. I haven't loved it. It's been fine. I think Titanic Growth is a better combat trick, for example. I don't think you're taking that here because you're much deeper into red. But uh, I think just if you had the choice, if you were red green, I would prefer Titanic Growth over Crescendo. Yeah, I think so. So Nassif takes the Blazing Crescendo here to get deeper into red. Moving on to pack one, pick seven. You're going to see more red cards aflow in here. There's a Hazardous Blast, White Skull Bomb, Ickerspit Basilisk, and a Vraska's Fall. So the packs are just like largely just don't have cards in them. I mean, but that makes sense, right? Like you and I are used to drafting with, I think it's fair to say, people who are often worse drafters than us. And so it's easier for us to get higher card quality out of those drafts, whereas in pod play day two of the pro tour, you're not seeing good cards late because everybody knows what the good cards are. Yeah, I mean, that checks out too. But I also think these have been egregiously bad packs for LSV and Nassif. I mean, like if you looked at other people's draft decks at the table, they have better decks with better cards. And I just don't think LSV and Nassif really had an opportunity to do that so much. No, certainly. I think there were maybe a little bit more pivot points for LSV potentially, and who knows how they would have panned out. For Nassif so far, I don't really see another path other than just get deep into red here. Yeah. Uh, so it takes Hazardous Blast over those cards, and then you're going to see pack one round out, gets a Furnace Skull Bomb, another Blazing Crescendo on the wheel, Awaken the Sleeper, that's the Threaten Effect, um, picks up a Testament Bearer, pick 11, that's the 4-1 in black that when it dies, you get to look at three cards, put one of them in your hand, the rest into your graveyard, and then a bunch of other stuff that just doesn't matter, picks 12 through 15. So is basically red 
with an evolving adaptive at the end of pack one. Yeah. So looking for a second color, right? A second color and just honestly needs bodies to put mm-hmm. the sword of Forge and Frontier on. Like has a piece sure. of interaction in Volt Charge, has some combat tricks, has the Hatter's Blast. So like needs cheap creatures and needs removal spells. Yeah. Pack two pick one is super interesting. Yeah. So pack two pick one sits down and sees the following cards. There's Hex Gold Slash, red for the deal two at instant speed, deal four to a toxic creature. Contagious Vorak, two and a green for the three, three. I look at the top four. You can put a land in your hand. If you don't, you proliferate. Armored Scrap Gorger, one and a green for the O3. Can tap to add a man of any color to your mana pool. And when it becomes tapped, you can exile target card from a graveyard to put an oil counter on it. If you do, you get an oil counter on it. And once it has three oil counters on it, it turns into a 3-3 beater. Yeah. What do, you, what do you like between those two? If you're pack one, pick one, Vorak versus Scrap Gorger, because I've had that a fair amount. I would take Scrap Gorger. It's two mana versus three. Yep. Me too. And then Kemba Ka Enduring is your rare. One in a white for a 2-2. Whenever it or another cat enters the battlefield under your control, attach up to one target equipment you control to that creature. Equipped creatures you control get plus one plus one, and you can pay three white white to make a 2-2 white cat creature token. This is really tough because I think Scrap Gorger, Kemba Ka Enduring, and Slash are all kind of on the table. I think it's Slash because Slash is so good and he knows he's red. But if Slash is not here, I think it's a, a really interesting choice between Scrap Gorger and Kemba. I think I would take Kemba just because you have the sword and it plays so well with the sword. But you've got the adaptive. You've already got a green one drop you really want to play. Uh, yeah, maybe it is Scrap Gorger. Right? It's so hard. This is a really hard pick. Yeah. I think it, honestly, I think it's pretty clear because he's so deep into red. But yes. if, if Slash weren't there, it's really tough. I agree. Yeah, for sure. I mean, Kemba plays so well with the sword. I, I totally agree. But but the adaptive is just so good. But yeah, so pr- pretty easy, easy quotes Slash for him here. Yeah. Moving on to pack two, pick two, you see the following cards as options. There's Venomous Brutalizer, the 4-4 Toxic 3, Silvok Battle Chair, the 4GG <laughs> Equipment. Uh, it's a 6-6 six, six Trample, and you can pay seven mana to equip to give something plus four, plus four and Trample. Have you died to this card yet? Yeah, I've died to that card. I still okay. think it's bad. Okay, okay. Uh, there's Blade Graft Aspirant, two and a red for the 2-3 with Menace, and cards that you equip to it cost one less to equip. There's Rootbine Cultivator, the green 1-2 that can oil itself up, and then you can remove an oil counter from it to untap a land. There's Eye of Malkator, not that that's super relevant here. No. Uh, a Stinging Hive Master as well, the 3-2 in black, and an Incisor Glider in white, just to give a little bit of the, the texture of the pack. Yeah, I th- think Bladecraft Aspirant makes sense because he has sword. I would honestly be a little tempted by the battle chair here myself. Ooh, battle um, chair. I'm tempted by the brutalizer. What? No. This is a four mana four four beater. What? You just want you just want bodies. He has no bodies right now. He his his creatures to this point are evolving adaptive, <laughs> exuberant fusling, and furnace punisher. Yeah. That's it. That's all you need, baby. <laughs> Oh, you need, baby. <laughs> I can't. I mean, if you were talking about bodies, it's definitely aspirin over brutalizer. You're not tempted by brutalizer. I kind of want to lock in green as a second color, and I think it's a better card than aspirin. No? Wow. I don't. Brutalizer is largely not a card I care about. Like, I do think four mana dies to Hexold Slash is a real cost. A real now, bad place to be, yeah. Now, I guess, you know, Nasif can anticipate how many other Slash players are at the table, given that he's so deep into red. Maybe that's something to think about, but I would not. I'd, Brutalizer is not on my radar out of this pack at all. I would take Cultivator over Brutalizer. Huh, yeah. Uh, well, Nasif solves that problem for us yeah. <laughs> and takes Bladecraft Aspirant. Uh, he agrees with you. I think also I like Brutalizer a little bit because I'm still 
remembering like the potential uh, Necrogen Rot Priest pick four. I think that's mm. why it's maybe on my radar a little more than normal because I remember thinking I liked the Brutalizer there when I watched Nassif's draft. And I think that's why because I was thinking I would have taken the Rot Priest. But then you're still, but you're not, I mean, I guess, what are you thinking about Green Red Splash the Rot Priest? No. Uh, yeah, there's just no good route for Nassif. Like the no. green, the green black hedge doesn't work out. No, either. Like no yeah. route through this draft <laughs> works out well for Nassif. Yeah, that's fair. Well, I mean, he gets deeper into red-ish in the pack, right? Yeah. So pack two rounds out. Uh, he gets a free from flush. That's the plus two plus two add two oil counters. Pick three. Very nice pickup for him. And then he takes Leon and Lightbringer, pick four. That's the two and a white, three, two, ward two. Um, and as long as it's equipped, it gets plus one, plus one. That's way early to be taking a Leon and Lightbringer. But again, Nassif just needs bodies desperately. And that does go pretty well for him a little later in pack two. He gets a Chimney Rabble next, the three, three, and a one, one. Picks up another Chimney Rabble after that, another three, three, and a one, one. And then a Barb Batterfist. So it does yeah. get kind of hooked up in red with bodies, which is what he desperately needed from pack two. Um, wheels the Silvok Battle Chair. And I think is in a very nice spot at the end of pack two. He's red, has some bodies, has the hex gold slash, has the volt charge, and has two white cards or two green cards. So he's red and trying to decide whether to pair green or deciding to pair white with it. Yeah, I mean, I think the adaptive is definitely in front in terms of what's swaying him. And he solidifies himself into green with pack three, pick three, contagious forak, followed by a lattice blade mantis, but never really gets like, I mean, we sort of see LSV get paid off in pack three, despite a weak pack one, pack two. We have Nassif sort of having the opposite thing, like a really nice start, like one, two, three great picks, and then nothing really panning out well for him. Right. And just it wasn't like he was passing other good cards. No. Either. Like just didn't see good cards, period. Yeah. So if you look at Nassif's deck here, he's got like a fine-ish looking red-green aggro deck, except he's just really light on creatures. Like that's that's the biggest ultimate issue, and he never really was able to overcome the lack of threats. So in the ones, he's got Adaptive, Cultivator, Fusling, and a Sawblade Scamp. That's the 1-1 one, one Haster um, that gets oil whenever you cast a non-creature spell, and then you can remove an oil counter to ping. He's got a Maze Skull Bomb, a Furnace Skull Bomb, a Free From Flush, and a Hex Gold Slash, a Barb Batter Fist as his only two-drop creature, two Blazing Crescendos, a Thrill of Possibility. And then in the threes, he's got Contagious Vorak, and then in the threes, he's got Contagious Vorak, Bladegraft Aspirant, Forgehammer Centurion. That's the three two uh, that when something else dies, you get an oil counter on it and you can move two oil counters to make a creature unable to block. There's a Furnace Punisher, the three three menace and a Magmatic Sprinter, the Haster that comes in with two oil uh, either on itself or something else. And at the beginning of your end step, you have to return it unless you remove oil counters from it. He's got the sword, the Volt Charge. Triple Chimney Rabble in the four drop slot. That's kind of a boon for his deck there. And then a Lattice Blade Mantis and a Hazardous Blast. But ultimately, just not enough bodies, I think. Not enough bodies. Yeah, only, what, 13 creatures for a deck that, like, has, you know, two Skull Bombs that care about putting things on permanence, has three combat tricks, has uh, a sort of Forge and Frontier, you know, has a Hazardous Blast that really needs creatures to push the damage. So, I... You know, you could see this deck doing well, but it's also not surprising that it ultimately went one, two. Yeah. And so Nassif also faces a really interesting early decision with this deck. Um, his round one opponent is Michael Go, who's playing a, essentially a black toxic deck with some red removal and a chimney rabble in there as well. And Nassif is on the play and says Mountain Go and has a hex gold slash in hand and kind, kind of a sketchy hand. And Michael Go plays Bilious Skull Dweller, which is the, the one, one toxic death touch on turn one. And Nassif chooses not to hex gold slash it. 
and like doesn't have a two drop to play to trade with it. Like his turn two play is ostensibly either hex gold slash or thrill a possibility. But I think ultimately he ends up choking himself on mana because he doesn't fire off the hex gold slash. And I think in most formats, you're supposed to hold your removal like that. And I just think in this format, if your opponent plays a one one toxic creature, you're hex gold slashing that all day. That's part of the power of hex gold slash is just make sure that you don't fall behind. So he ends up not firing it off, fires off thrill on turn two, like takes the toxic and then just never really has a window to play the hex gold slash mm-hmm. and takes a, a fair amount of toxic damage from the skull dweller. And I think ultimately it ends up not necessarily costing the game. I think he's probably losing the game regardless, but I think you're supposed to do things like fire off hex gold slash on your opponent's Billy skull dweller there. For sure. I could see like, you know, he's thinking about maybe some of the evasive threats being harder for him because he doesn't have many removal spells or that like hazardous blast could pick it off later. But the problem is, is that Nassif's whole game plan is on the ground anyway. And so he's going to have to get through the Skull Dweller one way or another, you know? Right. That was my thought as well, too. Yeah. So tough, uh, tough day in the streets for our two featured drafters, though Nassif is currently battling it out in the top eight as we record. Heck yeah, going to see rooting for Reed as well. Yeah, a lot of a lot of big names. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, good good showing from the the team CFB folks over at TCG Player. Yeah, absolutely. Represent. All right, great place to wrap us up. Thank you as always to Salty Pretzels for our intro and outro music. Make sure you give it a listen. Thank you so much to TCGPlayer.com for sponsoring this podcast. If you're heading over there for any and all purchases or signing up for a TCG Player subscription, please navigate your way over there using our affiliate link at lordsoflimited.com slash TCG Player. You can check us out streaming. I'm at twitch.tv slash Lord Tupperware. Ben is at twitch.tv slash Mr. Metronome. Mr. is spelled out. We're both under those same usernames on Twitter, and you can tweet at the podcast at Lords of Limited. If you've got any feedback about the show or any questions, shoot us an email at lordsoflimited at gmail.com. Thanks so much for listening, and we'll catch you next week for another episode of Lords of Limited. Thanks, everybody. See you later. Okay, so for today's blooper, we have a dramatic reading courtesy of Hunter Slayton on Twitter, who was inspired by our trial of Phyrexia All Will Be One last week and wrote an incredible parody of Colonel Jessup's final speech in uh, A Few Good Men. So I will do my best not to go full Jack Nicholson on everybody, um, but I felt like This needed to be spoken into the world. So we'll we'll cue this up with one of the perhaps most iconic scenes of American cinematic history. And then I'll dive in to, to Hunter's parody speech here. Enjoy. You want answers? I think I'm entitled. You want answers! I want the truth! You can't handle the truth!
Son, we live in a draft format that has rules, and those rules have to be guarded by creatures with power and toughness. Who's gonna do it? You? You, Lieutenant Metronome? I have a greater responsibility than you can possibly fathom. You weep for Brothers War, and you curse Phyrexia all will be one. You have that luxury. You have the luxury of not knowing what I know, that a draft format speed, while tragic, probably saves gems, and best of one's existence, while grotesque and incomprehensible to you, saves time. You don't want the truth, because deep down in places you don't talk about on Magic Twitter, you want me in that draft queue. You need me in that draft queue. We use words like defensive speed, curve, rules of engagement. We use these words as the backbone of a life spent playing limited. You use them as a punchline. I have neither the time nor the inclination to explain myself to a man who shuffles and mulligans under the blanket of the very format guidance that I provide and then questions the manner in which I provide it. I would rather you just said thank you and scoop up your cards. Otherwise, I suggest you sit down at a table and draft a deck. Either way, I don't give a damn what draft format you think you are entitled to.